Cutting the Curd is brought to you by the Dairy Farm Families of Wisconsin, the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board. Did you know that today Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American international style and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country? For more information, visit eatwisconsincheese.com. I'm Dave Arnold, host of Cooking Issues. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hello and welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, live in the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze, and with me in the studio today is Cutting the Curd overlord and founder, Ann Saxelby. How are you, Ann? I'm well. Thanks for having me on. Super nice to be here with you. Um, today we're beginning the first in a series of episodes about cheese and art, each week exploring the ways in which cheese is more than just a food object with nutritional value. It's an object embedded with meaning, and it can transport us and teach us. On this very first episode of that series, we're going to talk specifically about the intersection of cheese and music. I'm very happy to have two amazing cheesemakers on the line with me today. Soyoung Scanlon, cheesemaker at Andante Dairy in California. Many of Soyoung's cheeses are, in fact, and in fact, the name of the dairy itself, are named after various musical terms. How are you doing today, Soyoung? Hi, I'm doing very well, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, we also have Cutting the Curd veteran Andy Hatch of Uplands Cheese on the line. On the last episode you were on, Andy, we briefly talked about your double life as cheesemaker and musician. And then that conversation inspired me actually to want to have this discussion today. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So here on Cutting the Curd, we often address issues relevant to the world of artisanal cheese. And in fact, both Soyoung and Andy are exceptional artisan cheesemakers. So the American Cheese Society provides a definition for the word artisan or artisanal as, and I quote, implying that a cheese is produced primarily by hand in small batches with particular attention paid to the tradition of the cheesemaker's art and thus using as little mechanization as possible in the production of the cheese. I think it's interesting and a great point of departure for this conversation. The ACS does not use the word craft or skill, but art to describe the process behind the types of cheeses that have attracted so many of us to this industry. So my first question for you is for you, Soyoung. Your background is a dairy scientist and biochemist. So science is, of course, is of the utmost importance to understanding the cheesemaking process. But what do you think about the importance of the cheesemaker's art, and what does that mean to you? Actually, you know, personally, I try to avoid the usage of art to describe my work. I, I feel, you know, art is more for, uh, you know, the goal is more for beauty or emotional power, and I like to use more, you know, more of a craftsmanship uh, to describe my work. But any kind of craftsmanship in higher level actually gains artistic and creative part. And what they want to say is more of the creative and imaginative uh, process of you know, doing our work, uh, which is very different from uh, factory-made or large-scale um, large production. So what's your relationship to music, and what about music or, like, certain musical terms inspired the names of your dairy and your cheeses? Uh, I'm actually a career changer. Uh, of course, I was a scientist, but at the same time, I was a music lover, and also I worked um, 
as a semi-professional accompanist, as a pianist for a long time. Uh, so, uh, you know, music, I always loved music, and it has been with me entire life. Even I don't remember any time, uh, even when I was really young, without music. So uh, I think as a career changer, I always wanted to combine everything I loved, you know, working with the hands, um, and working with the senses and working in some someplace quiet, pretty much alone, and also music. So, you know, everything got combined, and so when I had to decide my business name, uh, it just came out, you know, as it is. And Andante means a lot of people think it's kind of a slow tempo, but it's not. It's more of the tempo of your walk and more strolling. So I thought maybe if I can make cheese, with that tempo mark, I could make something good. So it's, it's this whole combination of, you know, my intention, desire, and the present condition. Um, so on your uh, on your website, it talks about how the musical terms sort of personify mm-hmm. your image of all the different cheeses. You talked a little bit about how Andante, um, you know, personifies your idea of, of the tempo of, of doing your work. Um, mm-hmm. So how does music personify the flavor or texture or other qualities of a cheese? Um, the thing was, when I named the cheese, uh, of course, if I were, you know, French cheese maker, I could name something very traditional, you know, camembert or croton or whatever. But when I had to name my uh, cheeses, it was actually quite difficult because I didn't want to mimic any French, and also it was not exactly the copy of it. So, I mean, as a music lover, when I think or when I see something uh, meaningful or beautiful, I always think of a certain music. So, you know, the Nocturne, that's actually my first cheese with a truncated um, a pyramid piece uh, from cow's milk. And that was... Uh, actually inspired by not just uh, you know nocturne as a music, it was also inspired by uh, uh, Whistler's painting in the, where I saw in England. So the Whistler, what he thought was uh, he thought you know London is a very ugly city, but uh, just after sunset when the night falls along the Thames River, you know everything is covered, is very slowly covered by. Uh, the darkness and the color of the sky, you know, the grayish blue, uh, that reminded him also of Chopin's Nocturne pieces. So when I saw the painting, I was just thinking, you know, all the combination of, you know, visual and, uh, you know, even almost like a tactile feeling of the uh, the sky. And when I started making the cheese, I was just thinking, okay, if I were a painter, I would mix, uh, you know, black and white make the gray color. Uh, okay, now I'm a cheesemaker, so I need to mix um, white camembert mold uh, in a penicillin candidum, you know, which is usually on a camembert cheese, and maybe with a little bit of ash uh, for, you know, a lot of traditional uh, Loa Valley uh, good cheeses. So I combined, and so when it was aging, it just darkens or lightens the color and the inside of it, it was uh, it's a lactic curd, so it's kind of a very gentle. It has a little bit of acidity, but uh, it, as it ripens, it 
melts more like uh, in a camembert style cheese. So, you know, from, in my brain, it always works like that because, in one sense, it's not exactly one sense, it's isolated, something visual, sound, and my work. And when I was making the cheese, uh, you know, I was listening to Chopin's Nocturne all the time. So hopefully it just, uh, you know, created something I wanted. It's it's interesting to hear you talk about that, and it's interesting to hear you say, you know, as a going into cheese making, you wanted to combine all of your loves, you know, your love of science mm-hmm. and, and of cheese and of music. Um, I feel like, you know, and now you're here talking about combining all these different sensory things from, mm-hmm. you know, the music you like to listen to, to the painting that it reminds you of, to the sense of, you know, dark falling in London and um, how the cheese melts and everything. And I think that... Um, Cheese is really interesting that way because you said, you know, to you it's not so much art as as a very high craft or skill. But I feel like maybe that's an important difference between, um, you know, art and food. Um, You know, even though we have all these sensibilities kind of coming together that informs your making of the product or even things that it evokes in us as we're eating it, um, it's still it's still there in front of us and something that just nourishes us. And so it's different than art to me in a way or music because it's just a tactile thing that you're actually putting in your body to nourish you. Whereas art always exists in a more kind of, uh, um, untouchable way, you know? Um, I just think, yeah, your way of describing it just was very, very nice. I I like that. And also a lot of uh, foodies are actually music lovers. They are. To be a good, you know, foodie, uh, I think you need to believe in the power of transformation. You know, like, you know, music is something, I think, you know, I think about this a lot these days because music is something, it's a sound. You know, you can see, you can touch, it touches your eardrum and disappears, correct? And it's just similar to food, you know. When you chew, you feel the sense and taste everything, and after that you swallow, it disappears. And the cheese and, you know, most of the beautiful food is all very perishable. And it's going to disappear. But, you know, something good, something really well made, it just gives, you know, people the sense and memory of something so, you know, important and so powerful. I think it, it has power to change people. And, you know, in terms of that, I think music and uh, or anything perishable. I think they share very core characteristics. And and they can make people happy, too. I was just thinking, you know, maybe this is a good segue to talk with Andy, but I feel like the type of music that Andy plays is quite different from the type of music that So Young's been talking about. Um, and I feel like, Andy, am I wrong? Do you do bluegrass and things like that? Uh, that's right. These days, uh, I, I was uh, raised uh, playing classical piano, um, but I've since, yeah, I've drifted from that. Well, I just feel like, yeah, there's a different sensibility. I feel like, you know, there's a kind of elation that can come from eating a great piece of cheese, and there's also a kind of elation that can come from listening to different types of music. And for me, anyways, bluegrass is a particularly joyful kind Absolutely. of music, even though it's also very sorrowful sometimes with the lyrics and everything. So I don't know. It's interesting. I only ever listen to Chopin at night and uh, sometimes when I'm very sad, uh, especially the, the nocturnes. But I only ever listen to bluegrass when I'm 
up and ready to maybe drink a lot of uh yeah to hang out with dance. your friends like camaraderie <laughs> yeah it's just it's interesting hey so andy do you find um cheese making and music intersecting much in your daily life uh in, in my daily life definitely and even in my sort of a, approach um to the two you know in a uh, in, in the broadest sense, you know, almost theoretically, I think they're very similar in that uh, they're repetitive. You know, practicing music uh, and, and, and making cheese day after day requires a, a kind of uh, dedication to repetition and concentration that, um, you know, I guess you could argue is less and less common these days. But, you know, to, to make a cheese, especially the same cheese every day like I do, and, and have it be meaningful day after day is not at all unlike playing a piece of music, you know, publicly or privately again and again and, and make, trying to make it meaningful. How do, you, how do you make it matter every time? For some people, I think that would drive them crazy, that, you know, they're always craving something new and different. But for other people uh, to go really deep into a piece of music or a, a particular cheese or some craft, uh, you know, that's what's meaningful to them. And so I think that's a characteristic you find in certain types of musicians and in a lot of cheesemakers. Um, so theoretically, on that level, it, it's, it's really related for me anyway. And then in daily, yeah, as far as uh, uh, rhythm of the work, um, you know, music uh, is part of everything we do here, even in the barn. You know, the, our, uh, our milking parlor, uh, the vacuum pump is kind of like... It's giving a little back for you. We listen to you. reggae in the barn. <laughs> it's, uh, it, it's in time with the, the milking system. It's a really good work rhythm, reggae is. You know, bluegrass it can be uh, too fast, I find, to work too. Um, and so in the creamery here too, yeah, it would be... Uh, the beginning of the day is often classical music. It's very quiet. The milk's coming over. You've got to do a uh, number of calculations and math and uh, things like, uh, you know, Bach or something. They're just uh, some pieces of music that seem symmetrical and harmonious and logical. Uh, and then by the time we get to the end of the day and we're, we're cleaning, we're running some pumps, the hose is running, then, you know, and it's loud. It's uh, rock and roll. Cheese is in the press. It's, you know, you're tired. You're just pushing through the end of the day. Um, you know, it, it sort of it keeps time to everything we do. And dairy farming and cheese making is all about uh, time and rhythm. It's funny. I, I worked for a brief time at Cato Corner Farm in Connecticut when I was first getting started in cheese, and we always listened to White Snake first thing in the morning, <laughs> which is terrible. But we were just like, we need to get psyched up. You know, it was like early. It was a little bit ridiculous. <laughs> but yeah. I, I like. I think your your description is a little bit more apt to what the real rhythm of a cheese making day is. <laughs> White Snake's good to do a lot of things too. Yeah. <laughs> but I think I think the. Uh, between the two of you, so uh, you, Andy, you, you're you're making cheese on the farm, and then you know you have you have a much different operation than uh, So Young. I I often listen to classical music in the morning too, uh, but I imagine uh, So Young, your your I imagine your cheese making operation to be very to be very quiet as opposed to Andy's. Would you say that that's true? 
Yes, it's very quiet and uh, usually only sound because, you know, I actually do not own any motor. So we have, you know, of course we have some motor for the agitator, for the pasteurizer, but that's about it. So sometimes when I'm here, uh, the best thing about my work is turning on music I love and just doing, you know, work very quietly. So when I come here, um, you know, over the weekend, I'm alone here. So I usually turn off my um, refrigeration. So I just turn off the compressor and fan so I can be in a, you know, absolute uh, quiet space. Uh, and I think I work better. And also sometimes uh, people tell me I am speaking with my teeth. And I was like, okay, so to, to listen to something very delicate and quiet, I should you know, have very calm and a quiet environment. Uh, I think I work better and I feel better in that atmosphere. And, and also, I'm actually inside of the farm, so we have animals. And so when I'm here at night, I usually open the window and I hear the sound of uh, animals moving. And, you know, the rustling sound that can be very similar to, uh, you know, grass moving uh, by wind. And, you know, it's just kind of a cooing sound of baby animals. And uh, I think it just sets the mood for my work. So my goal, you know, as a cheesemaker is that if I can give people some kind of a quiet joy of eating, you know, it, it doesn't need to be loud. It doesn't need to be really sensational, nothing glamorous. People just put you know, a piece of cheese in their mouth and they just feel something and they want to be quiet at that moment. And actually, I feel that uh, from Andy's cheese. So whenever I eat his cheese, I just want everybody quiet. <laughs> I, I, yeah, piece of very well-aged, pleasant rich in my mouth. There's a moment of like, yes, this is it. And like, I feel that calmness and... I actually thank for Andy all the time. <laughs> oh, that's sweet. I like it. Um, Andy, do you uh, do you feel um, do you have that, those epiphany type moments uh, when you're in there listening to uh, to reggae or White Snake making uh, making Pleasant Ridge? Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, and um, it's uh, yeah. There are different words to describe it, I suppose. But you know, harmony is useful in a couple of ways. You you, you can taste something that's, you know, in balance, in harmony. You can listen to something that's in harmony, and sometimes, right, it all feels um, harmonious. And, uh, yeah, I think probably farming and cheesemaking, uh, you you get uh, enough of those moments to make up for the paycheck, ideally. Well... He actually, so young, you mentioned something about sound, and uh, we're going to have to take a short break. But when we come back on, I want to talk a little bit with you guys about the aspects of sound in cheese making. We'll be right back. You are listening to Mad as Dogs by The Hollows.
The dairy farm families of Wisconsin and the Wisconsin Milk Marketing Board are proud to underwrite Cutting the Curd on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Wisconsin cheeses have an illustrious heritage of more than 170 years of quality and craftsmanship. During this long and rich history, the art and science of cheesemaking have been captured in time-honored traditions that produce cheese varieties of unsurpassed excellence. Today, Wisconsin produces more than 600 varieties, types, and styles of American, international style, and original cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit www.eatwisconsincheese.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, live in the Heritage Radio Network. We're talking with Soyoung Scanlon and Andy Hatch about cheese and music. And I'm here with the lovely Anne Saxelby, herself an artist in addition to being a famous cheese person. I wanted to start off this next segment by taking a step back and talking about cheese and sound. Uh, we all know the importance of certain visual and textural cues when we are making cheese or selling cheese or even eating cheese. And obviously, taste is probably the most important way to gather information about a cheese. But what about the importance of sound in the cheesemaking process? Uh, I, I, was just, I just got back from Parma, Italy, and uh, I was watching some Reggiano be made at a small dairy. And uh, one of the things that I loved most about the process is that after uh, the cheeses had been matured, we... Uh, you know, they take them out of the vault, and this man takes a little mallet and he rolls the cheeses on their side and he taps them, um, listening for defects in the cheese. Um, and uh, I, you know, his ear was tuned there. He had this special little hammer. And um, I was wondering um, for you guys, uh, well, for you, you so young in particular, if uh, the if sound was important to you in the cheese making process. I know you had started to mention how you open the windows at night and listen to the animals. Uh, well, the, the maybe the more direct relationship between sound and you know cheese, as you described in the Parmigiano Reggiano uh, test. It can be, you know, more related to hard cheeses, but I make mostly soft cheeses. So, um, so I should say when I make cheese, because you know I use mostly lactic uh, curd uh, formation method for curdling, so which takes very long, and sometimes uh, uh, it just it takes whatever it takes. You know, it's not exactly measured. Uh, you know, is it 12 hours or 15 hours? I do not even measure the time, and I just wait until when it is done. Uh, so usually, when I do something very tedious, you know, something I need to slow down myself. Uh, you know, I always think maybe if I want to uh, bring out some kind of a sound as a sensation when people eat and experience my cheese. I was thinking about something very well tempered, you know, like is there anything, you know, uh, we can call well tempered sound, like uh, in a Bach music, well tempered clavier, because he used, you know, a lot of pieces, uh, mostly to check more like uh, the tuning state of piano, and uh, so usually when I'm in a hurry and when I want to make something very exquisite for special event, uh, what I do is I just turn on uh, Bach's Well-Tempered Clavier, book one and book two, just endless, which takes actually several hours, and just repeat that all day. So I can actually be in 
the mood for a certain sound, a certain tempo, and certain rhythm. So my work can actually be reflected, and possibly my movement and mindset can be reflected into the final product. I'm not sure if it makes sense. It you know, actually for it the does. Yeah. yeah. I was just thinking it would be really interesting to have a composer on the show too to talk about you know how they create a piece of music and if what they're thinking about you know if it's because I'm sure there are some references there too maybe they might be thinking about food when they're uh, <laughs> creating a piece and thinking about how that translates into sound. I had this book a cheese make a cheese sort of reference book that I had about 15 years ago and I lost it because I lose so many things that I own and in the very in the prologue I'll never forget this uh, that um, it was either it was Mozart or, or a composer um, dedicated a piece of music to a, a, a cheesemonger in Vienna that they were in love with so this uh, <laughs> is an interesting tidbit for me um, another place that I that I definitely uh, heard sound um Accompanying the cheese maturing process was in the fortress of Saint Antoine. They also knock on the com- uh, the Comte. Um, Andy, do you test that? Do you, do you do that to your cheese to find out if there's any defects in the center like that? I do, and uh, the you know diameter of Pleasant Ridge is so, so much smaller than you know Reggiano, Gruyere, Comte that it it uh, doesn't reverberate as well. So it's. Uh, we we check them. It's got to be a, a big crack to give you a sound in a in a wheel of our size. Um, but yeah, uh, bang on it with the the back handle of the trier. Yeah, all the time. That's cool. I um... Greg, if, if I could interrupt, I all of a sudden have a hard time hearing so young. I don't know if there's a dial that could be turned. I can. We're in the, we're in the middle of a storm here, so it's possible. Oh, um, I believe she's uh, that she's um, she's just quiet. <laughs> You're still there, right, Soyoung? Yes. Oh, good. <laughs> um, no, I, I, I really, I, I remember, I remember speaking to you, Andy, um, when you were on before with me, and uh, you maybe mentioned how how. And I just wanted to come back to this with sound, how the recipe sort of mimicked the scales almost that you would practice as a musician. And maybe um, you could speak to me about that again. Yeah, I, I was, what I was trying to allude to earlier, talking about um, repetition and finding you know, meaning um, personally and trying to make something beautiful, doing it over and over and over again, uh, which is the case with somebody like me that makes uh, just one cheese. And, you know, it's a case for uh, a lot of musicians. I mean, not just classical musicians, but, you know, if you release a rock record uh, and take it out on tour, you might play the same set, uh, you know, 150 times over uh, six, eight months. And, you know, how do you make that meaningful every time? Now, you know, for some bands, the answer, you know, is probably, you know, drugs and alcohol. Hey. But, you know, <laughs> 5 a.m. in a dairy farm, you know, those, you know, aren't usually on hand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it, some of it, like I said earlier, I think it comes down to um, type of, of personality. Uh, somebody that enjoys uh, perfecting something as opposed to always discovering new things. Uh, and I think that also comes circles around a little bit to what we talked about at the very beginning, which is the question of whether cheesemaking is an art or a craft, and 
you know, at some point, I guess that just becomes academic. But uh, I think, depending, you know, if you if you think of art as um, you know abstract painting or sort of like uh, spontaneous self-expression, then she's making, I think, is does does not fit into that category. It's th- more of a, a you know a refined, repetitive craft, as far as how I I think. I feel like that that's kind of a myth about like abstract painting. I mean, I, I feel like none of that stuff was just arrived at spontaneously. Even the abstract right. painters, I feel like were so engrossed in academic, the academics of painting and kind of trying to deconstruct. And it was all very kind of like cerebral and everything like that. But I think that, that, that is a common kind of like myth about, or I don't know if it's a myth is the right word, but about art or expression in general, that it just kind of like comes to you and it's like this, joyful thing. I think that it's a really good point that you underscore that, you know, in order to arrive at anything beautiful, you know, the repetition and the practice is, is the crucial element. If you don't have that, I think you wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't have something meaningful at the end of the day. Right. And I, I'm not trying to sound like some old fashioned guru or something, but, you know, <laughs> everybody else admits these days, uh, there's a rush for instant gratification and reward and i and i think a lack of attention span too you know with like all of the you know i could i mean i'll go i won't get on my soapbox but i feel like the more time people spend on the computer and instagramming and all that stuff which you know some i'm i'm addicted to instagram too so i have nothing to (laughs) to say but you know i feel like they're they're, these days it's less and less common for people to want to spend the time like you said doing one thing instead of constantly seeking out the new and the novel so maybe I don't know. Maybe we'll have to have like a little cheese making boot camp for <laughs> for young people to teach them the values. <laughs> I think it's it's interesting when you talk about the difference between art and craft because in the in the in the Renaissance period in, in Florence, um, you know, artists um, who who created works, you know, like say high art, uh, they used to be pay, paid by the square foot. You know how much they produced. And then they went and petitioned, you know, basically the papacy to get them to be able to be to get paid or exp- on the basis of the quality of their expression. And that's where, you know, that's where Da Vinci, you know, sort of came out, and we recognize these people as as artists. And then, you know, the other people who made like the nice ornate mugs and uh, goblets and things like that, which also made it by hand, they were they were sort of termed artisan. But I feel like now. Um, we take a look. I've been in so many museums where I've I've been I've looked at so many rugs and so many masks and so many so many um, go, so many goblets and those are all held up to me as art objects. So I think that's what my my question was about cheese. Is that is it is it the craftsman that's making an art object? I don't know. I mean, I, I I know what I think. And I know what do you I, think? Well, I I always think that the pieces of cheese uh, to me are. They're little objects of art. That's how I treat them because that's how I – that's their, like the window through which I see things, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess to the but – I'm, but I'm just, a, I'm just the, the dealer, you know? <laughs> I mean to the peop- people who make the cheese, possibly that's, uh, that's much different, you know? Well, but the thing, you know, for me is um, like music, cheese or taste or other kind of food – it really can't be possessed. I think when people are making big deal out of art, you know, people always talk about at some kind of auction, you know, a certain piece of painting was sold, you know, 
for you know several million dollars, things like that. So I think it, you know there's this kind of a possessiveness and a proud of ownership or whatever you know they are feeling. So sometimes when people always talk about art and you know my work, I always tell people I'm so glad I'm making something utterly perishable. So nobody can hang my teeth you know, in their living room and use that as a show-off piece. <laughs> the way they enjoy my teeth is actually putting that into their mouth and let that disappear. So possibly it can be an ultimate art, you know, in that sense. That's, I, I, yeah, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Although then you, I, I was just thinking, you know, some people do, you know, so young, I was thinking, uh, you, it's interesting that you say that because I feel like among, in the cheese world, certain cheeses are sought out like art objects, Absolutely, you know, like they are. for example, your cheeses, when people have them in their counters, you know, they make a point to tell you, they say, Oh, you know, we have the Andante cheeses and the people who know American cheese and love, American cheese, there is like a meaning to that too. Um, although in the end, like you said, you get to eat it. So it, it, it stays kind of humble in a way. But it's, it's just funny how there is always that little bit of, you know, uh, exaltation, you know, of, of, of beautiful things, whether it's cheese or art or whatever. And it's specifically like, but, the, but that's, that's what cheeses are always, are always more, I, I, I don't, I mean, they're, to me, they're always more than just food. Um, I mean, maybe it's just a way of me trying to justify what I've done with my life for the last so so long. <laughs> <laughs> but they they are they're very expressive and mysterious, and uh, and I, I I really agree. I agree. I'm glad that people can eat cheese too, because sometimes you know they they, they we do hold on to cheese mongers. We'll we'll stash cheese away just so we can say we have it. We definitely do. But uh, I think it makes I think it makes you humble that that it disappears. No, you can't hold on to it forever. Um, we just made, a, our band just made a record this summer, and it freaks me out a little every time I record because normally, you know, we play live and, and the music's here and then it's gone. And with cheese, you know, it's, it, it, it'll reach its peak. You, you eat it, you sell it, it's beautiful, it's gone. Um, making a painting or making a, a record is, it's permanent, you know, and I think a lot of times that would be a quality attributable to most art, right? That it's around. Well, it is, but it's also, I mean, but you're, you know, the the, the Pleasant Ridge Reserve and the cheeses from Andante, they might disappear, but they never disappear. So the process is the art, maybe. I don't know, but, you know, it, it's, you know, each, each cheese is a... Is a little bit different, but there's that, that vein of production that runs that runs really through it, isn't there? Well, yeah, and it, you, you, know. you 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 can't stop. I mean, you, uh, <laughs> you don't stop. Making Please don't cheese. stop. We have a we have an off season, thankfully, but uh, right. You know, the, I suppose you're right. The process uh, is the art. Running a farm is a you could call it a, a nonstop work of art. That's cool. Well, in closing, I just wanted to uh, to bring up something. Uh, last Friday, the hashtag Cheese Songs, speaking of uh, Instagram and things, um, che- the hashtag Cheese Songs was trending on Twitter in which people thought of ways to incorporate um, cheese names into song lyrics. This led to some like really terrible and strangely wonderful cheese puns like Hits Havarti and I'll Cry If I Want To, which just makes me want to punch myself. Um, <laughs> 
And I'm Ricotta, baby. I was born this way. Terrible, terrible things. Um, but with so many musicians in our cheese community and so many cheese lovers who appreciate music, uh, there are bound to be many ways in which they complement and inform each other. Um, so I just wanted to thank you guys so much, uh, So Young and Andy, for being on the show today and sharing your wonderful insights about music and sound and cheese. And thank you so much, Anne, for uh, coming on with me today. And uh, so... Until next week, uh, we'll be signing off. Thanks for listening to us on Cutting the Curd. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.